You're listening to Interested Anthony. I'm your host, Anthony Hujulis, and today my guest is Jason Theo Harris. And I remember that summer I was like, wow, I should be like a famous actor. <laughs> I was like, I could do it, you know, I, like I, I could figure it out. So You've been getting all lead parts up until now. It was like a, a saw month. I was like, you know what? I could like, I could probably do it. Like and I was, I was playing it out. Um, okay. Once I'm done with school, uh, I'll have to, you know, get a job somewhere. Maybe I can live at home with my parents and save up and then move to LA and like go to Hollywood. Or something. <laughs> um, but once I did those two shows, my junior year of college, I just, I lost interest. It was too much. Really? And, and, uh, you know, what my um, field of study was in college was computer science. So it was at that point that I was like, okay, I need to take that more seriously. I need to, you know, find an internship. I need to get a job afterwards. So um, I got an internship the summer after my junior year. And then my senior year, I got, I got a few offers. So I, I accepted an offer in like November. So I was like, okay, I'm a software engineer now. So I totally like, I totally moved on from kind of acting stuff and anything really artistic. I don't really have an outlet for that anymore. Um, but I haven't really thought about it that much. It's mm -hmm. like I, I actually forgot that I did all that stuff. <laughs> so really, yeah. Part time, I'm, I'm doing a master's degree in computer science. And, you know, my third big thing is I, I bought a rental property a year ago. Well, almost a year ago. I bought mm -hmm. it last May. So, you know, been doing a lot of renovations on that. Um, what got you into that? What, what inspired you to do that? Uh, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's an interesting background. I, uh, the, the second I graduated from college, I, I kind of went through a phase of being obsessed with like saving money, being extremely frugal, mm -hmm. uh, living well below my means. And I ended up buying a four unit house in May of last year. And, you know, it's just been a pretty long journey since then in terms of um, getting contractors to fix up the place. Two of the units weren't occupied. So I had to completely um, renovate them because they were not in a it wasn't a situation in which I could just rent them right away. Like they weren't in good, good condition. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's not exactly passive. I will say that, um, you see a lot of gurus online who are like, Oh, you'll achieve passive income with uh, rental properties. And it's sort of true, but, uh, if you want a really high return, you'll probably get a place that needs some work. Did you know how to do this ahead of time or were you watching a lot of those YouTube videos for like inspiration? Did you think it was going to be a little easier than it actually is? It, it depends who you listen to. There are some that are like that and mm -hmm. others who are a lot more realistic. Uh, and there's some that think really big. There's some that don't think as big, but are just looking to cover their expenses. You know, some people think like that. Other people are like, okay, you got to think big. You gotta buy these, the, the bigger the better. You gotta buy as many units as possible. And I think both, they, they, there are positives and negatives for both. 
So of course, for, for me, I was 24 years old. I'm not gonna, I didn't have that much money. I couldn't buy an apartment building, but, um, it seems like I learned a lot more this past year by, by doing this than not doing it though. So even if I, let's say it, it didn't appreciate in this past year, I were to sell it right now and break even, it still would have been worth it because of all the stuff I learned. A question I wanted to ask you before we kind of danced over it. When you were talking about uh, your theater experience back in the day, do you have any stories of just like where you thought, what the f*** am I doing here right now? <laughs> like all the time. Because, I mean, I always felt like I looked very different than everyone else. Like I was just, I kind of looked more like a, a jock than someone who did theater. So sometimes it'd be like, huh. I feel kind of out of place right now. Um, but there are a lot of weird things that happen during rehearsals, like especially if you're if you're doing like a warm-up beforehand mm -hmm. and you have to do some weird stuff. You have to really feel the space and like make weird noises with your voice and um, just like act like an animal and like crawl around the room and stuff like that. There's some weird stuff that you have to do, but you have to loosen up before you actually get into acting. You have to just yeah. not give a shit what people think. You have to uh, just kind of forget what your other problems are, the, your, the other issues you're dealing with, the class you're taking, the job you have. And it, it, I know why they do it, but a lot of times it's like, uh, so weird. Do you think that helped you later on down the road though? Like that mentality of not giving a shit help you in business or in, you know, other aspects oh, of your life? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, if you audition for something and this could be for TV, for film, for theater, there's just so much that's outside of your control. So a lot of the times it's not because you were bad or anything. A lot of times it's just politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to go in, not expecting anything like go in, not thinking that you deserve it. Like the world doesn't owe you anything basically. So you're just going to go in, see it, see what happens. And then whatever, if they take you, they take you. If not, okay, they're lost. Mm -hmm. So, um, and just not taking it so personally. Cause you really shouldn't take it so personally. If there are so many factors that are outside of your control, how can you possibly take it personally? Was there a time where you did maybe at the beginning, like where you faced rejection for the first time in this space? Oh yeah, totally. Um, and it, it, it's something that the sooner it happens, the better because you're able to, so for some people, like they've never been rejected throughout their lives. Like, and then suddenly when they hit their mid twenties, suddenly someone says no, and it's the end of the world. So it's not, it's not only for theater. It's also for job interviews. Yeah. Um, job interviewing is a skill and you won't do amazing your first job interview. You just won't, mm -hmm. especially for something like uh, software engineering related jobs. You'll go in, they bring you into a room, They'll uh, give you a marker to go up to the whiteboard and do some like coding questions and algorithms and puzzles and things like that. A lot of stuff you have to do on the spot in front of them. 
One time I went in for a, a seven hour interview of doing that stuff, just going up to a whiteboard and answering whiteboard questions. So some of it is like coding questions. Some of it is like um, SQL. So like database questions um, mm -hmm. uh, or just like general algorithms, um, data structures, all kinds of uh, computer science related things. And you just have to just do it right on the spot. You don't have much time to really think it through. Um, so like there have been plenty of times I, I just blew it and you have to see the humor though. Cause afterward, like I remember there were several interviews that afterward I would just laugh my ass off. I'd like call up a friend, call up like my mom or something and just tell them like, Oh my God, I did so bad. And it's, I, <laughs> you, you kind of have to see the humor. Do you remember any of them? I had one interview where there were four rounds. So each round I was talking to someone different from that company and they each round got harder and harder. But the very last one I was in there with the, the chief technology officer and someone who reports to him. So both of them were really high up and the person who reported to him, he, he did the initial phone screening with me and I absolutely nailed it. Uh, there were very few technical questions, a lot of personal questions, and I, I think I did absurdly well in that. So you're going into this just so up. I was like, you're okay, just, I, I got this. I, I'm on this like this guy's on my side. Let's see how this goes. So they just asked me a bunch of technical questions. I didn't know the answer <laughs> of any of them. I didn't know the answer of one of them. He would ask me a question. I'd be like, um. Uh, <laughs> you could just see the disgust in their face. It was like a half hour of this 30 minutes of them asking me questions. And I didn't know an answer to a single one. And then at a point, um, he was like, all right, so do you have any questions for us? And usually you should ask a few questions. You should ask like two or three questions, maybe a few about the technologies they use a few about maybe one about the culture or, or something like, okay, what technologies are you using for this and that project? I was just like, I don't have any questions because I, I just knew I blew it so badly. I didn't want to waste any more of their time. And then, <laughs> and then the guy who like initially gave that phone interview to me, he was like, all right, well, I guess I'll, I'll walk you out. And it was just, but it felt so pathetic at the time, but afterward I was just laughing my ass off because I'm never going to see those people again. So it right. doesn't matter. In right. fact, like I don't have to tell anyone about it. I've told plenty of people about it, but I didn't have to. So if you mess up so badly during an interview, it doesn't, it doesn't matter at all because yeah. you're never going to see them again. And if anything, you'll have a list of things that you have to read up on. You'll have a list of things that, it's like, okay, I didn't know those when he asked me about them. So I'm going to go home and study them and then I will know them. So either the, ne the next interview, I will know about them or for my, uh, my actual job, if that topic comes up, I will know more than everyone else. Mm -hmm. So there's no downside at all. Yeah. It's the same thing for if you want to, like if you're trying to ask out a girl or something. So He's all, it's all the same exact thing. Like if, if, 
if you see a girl at a bar and you try and talk to her and she is just not having any of it, okay, you gave it a try. You just walk away and and you'll have peace of mind because it's like, okay, now I know that she wouldn't be interested in me. So, okay, um, that's fine. Someone else will be. When I was in um, college, after that that first semester that I did a bunch of shows, I did, I did those two shows that semester. Um, at the end of that semester, uh, a professor from the theater department uh, emailed me directly saying, hey, you'd be a great fit for the lead role in this play I'm directing next semester. Like, want to come in and do a reading for it? And I was, I was definitely flattered, but I was so sure if I went in and did the reading, I would do so badly that I was like, hmm, maybe it's not for me. Like part of it was, okay, I was, I was going to be busy that next semester. So I wasn't sure if I could handle it, but I probably could have, and I probably should have just at least gone in and see what happens. But I was, uh, I was so afraid of looking bad. I was so afraid of re- rejection that I was like, um, I think I'm good basically. Which what ended up happening with back. it? What you didn't go? What ended up happening with it? You didn't I, go? I didn't go. I didn't <clears throat> go because, I mean, partially it was because, okay, I had other obligations that coming semester, but the other reason was like, okay, he has this high standard for me because he, he was really impressed by whatever I did in the past. I'm just going to go in and just kind of ruin that, um, which is, again, I think back and I'm like, what was I thinking? Because the worst part of it all was a few months later, I watched that play. I watched the guy who was the lead and I was like, I could have done that. Like, not that that guy was bad, but it's like, I, I could have uh, had a chance to mm. do this. Okay. So I think it was after that, that I was no longer afraid of rejection. And I realized that rejection is so it's, it's just not that bad compared to just the regrets of not attempting. Mm-hmm. No. Was there ever just a teensy bit of excitement of like, I'm going to go to Hollywood. This is going to be great. Because this question is coming from someone who themselves almost ran off to Hollywood as well. So was there ever like, when you were in that stage, like that, you know, rose lenses of like, oh my God, I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, I just, uh, I really just lost my interest so quickly. <laughs> that next, that following year that I just thought about it so little, mm-hmm. you know, maybe someday I change my mind. I'm still pretty young. I just yeah. turned 25 last week. So, Oh, happy birthday. And thank you. Happy belated. Yeah, it was uh, during the coronavirus stuff. So, you know, there were yeah. no parties to be had. Everyone else is on lockdown. So, you know, uh, 26 will, be, will definitely be my year though. <laughs> yeah. Like birthdays. Because I was so pumped. I was like, yo, 25 me and my friends are going to go to the grand. We're going to get a table. It's going to be sick. And that's not happening. And also my friends and I were planning a trip to Miami in a few weeks. Oof. That's obviously not, <laughs> there's no way, but I, I bought the ticket about a month ago, kind of before everyone was really informed about, it, but I, I was seeing what was going on in China and Italy. And I was like, I might not be able to go on this trip, but it's like $70 on spirit. So why not buy it? Like, it's not a big deal. 
But though I had a feeling it was it was coming and it was going to be pretty bad, I had no clue it would be like this. Yeah, I had absolutely no clue. I had no clue I would be like stuck in my parents' house for weeks, potentially months. That was not what I was expecting. I was like, okay, like maybe. So it's going to come to the U.S., but you know, it's not going to be too bad. But and people still do that. Like everyone's been saying, oh, it's only going to you know, it's only going to be a few weeks, and now everyone's thinking. Oh, it's going to be a month. Like, this is going to be like three to six months at least. Yeah. Like, the vaccine's not going to be ready for 12 months. Yeah, at least. Probably, yeah, 12 months to a, a year and a half. People are going to be scarred. They're going to be uh, kind of weary about going to crowded restaurants and yeah. movie theaters and concerts. Like, it's – some people think, oh, it's just going to be a V-shaped recovery. It's, it's going to take a while. Yeah. I'm just wondering – okay, we're going to lock everyone in their houses for who knows how long. Um, and we're going to destroy the economy to do that. Yeah, and we've all seen the curve. We've, we've all seen, okay, like it, the curve could be Flattening like this. Flattening the curve, yeah. It'll go like this because this is the line of our healthcare capacity, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering like do we actually know what this line is how close are we to this line at the moment um and you know if we're still not going to have a vaccine for another year and a half we're just like all this awful stuff is still going to happen it's just getting pushed further and further out um how long can we keep people stuck in their houses like at at a point people are just going to be like screw it they're not scared of it anymore whatever happens happens yeah so I'm, I'm definitely worried about this. Like, um, I try not to think about it, but it's, if you turn on the TV, that's the only thing that's there. So, so I have a question. Okay. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that, like you were thinking about kind of running off to Hollywood. Why, why didn't you? So sophomore year, I had been like having occasional periods where like I'd be sitting in class taking, I was in like pre-business or whatever. And I'd be going like, none of this applies to film. Like a college degree doesn't apply to film. Everyone says, oh, you'd have to get super lucky, but maybe, what if, you know? So you go through those what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. Yeah, totally. And then eventually just being in Arizona, you're already kind of out that way. It's like six hours to LA. And you're kind of like, you get a little delirious, like, I can see it right over those mountains, right over there. I'd look out my window and be like, LA's right on the other side of those mountains. So I was like, all right, how am I going to do this? I can't fall back on my parents. So I'm like, I'm like literally Googling how to like survive without any money. And I was looking at used vans. I had the whole thing mapped out and I was like serious about it. I'm going to get this van that I found on Car Gurus, and I can live out of the back of it and I can go to the beach and shower at the beach because they have those like showers. Now I just got to find somewhere to, you know, fill up a water bottle at this public water fountain in LA and I was going to like have it all mapped out of like living out of this van. And I called my cousin who was in insurance to just ask him a question about like living out of a van and then of course it circulated the whole family i'm getting calls left and right my parents call what are you talking about dropping out of school to run off to hollywood what the hell is going on and i'm i literally i'm like t minus one week is we're at like you know d day seven days away so my dad is like 
all right he, he's like the the guy that the cops call to like talk the person off the ledge he's like i understand what you're feeling be like reading out of the book i <laughs> i empathize with your plight but spring break is coming up in like two weeks what if we go out there i'll pay for it take you out there you can see LA, you can figure out how you do it without living out of a van. If it's really what you want, we'll go see the studios, do the tours, do whatever you want. And then if you want to stay there, you could stay there. And I was like, man, one week, that's never, that's like a year away. That's never going to happen. But I was like, all right, I'll suffer through a week of classes. And I remember getting on that flight from Tucson, Arizona, in that tiny ass plane, the sun was shining this is the day my life starts. I'm never coming back. And I'd land and we get there and I meet him at the airport and we're like driving past like oil fields and shit. And then we get into Hollywood and it's like kind of dusty and dirty and dingy and we get to the hotel, but you know, you're still like, holy shit, we're here. This is kind of sick. And then it's like big break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh my God. And then, you know, you go walk the Walk of Fame. You're going to go grab dinner down there and you see... Chinese theater over there. The Chinese theater, yeah, Grauman's. And then you see, like, some drunk guy dressed up like Bumblebee out of the Transformers yelling at tourists, either take a picture or move on. And you're like, well, this is kind of weird. And then you just see more of it. It's actually like... Apparently, it's more densely populated than New York. Really? That's what I, I've seen that around. I'm not sure if that's true, but it is up there. And you wouldn't really expect that considering all the houses are tiny. Right. Like, there's no upstairs yeah. in any of these houses. Um, you know, I I mean, obviously, once you go to the Walk of Fame, you're like, this is it? <laughs> yeah. Like, it looks so good in the movies. Yeah. And then you go back and watch those, like the I Love Lucy episodes, and it's like, oh, they, they're they in L.A., and yet they rebuilt it on a soundstage. Yeah. It's like, why wouldn't they have just gone to shoot the real thing if they're right next to it? But, dude, when you see the Chinese theater, it, it, it looks like, oh, it must be like this big, grand, nice thing when you see the pictures of it. And then when you see it in person, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> Um, but there, there are plenty of cool things to do in LA. Yeah, yeah. I went to the comedy store uh, a few a few times. Um, saw Crystalia. Oh, nice people like that. So it's it's cool running into celebrities. I ran into a bunch of random celebrities like um, John Boyega. Oh yeah, uh, Charlie Day, people like that. So it's cool. It's cool to run into people like that, but I feel like the quality of life isn't that great, and it's so expensive. It's yeah. Just- when we when I was doing like the orientation at U of A, there was a family there, and I like kind of recognized the girl. They were from California, from LA. I kind of recognized the girl, and then I it dawned on me, oh, I went to high school with her, and their family like moved to LA last year of high school. So you know, our parents started talking. And my dad always says this of like, and it's not to shit on LA. He's always saying it as like a, you know, proud of like where you come from. But the guy was like, yeah, you know, the weather's nice out here, but the quality of life is 
light years away in the Northeast. It's just. Also in LA, it takes you at least 45 minutes to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much traffic. Like oddly enough, when we were there, there was no traffic, but that's surprising. Yeah. In, in New York, you can have these nights where last minute you decide to do something and it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, in LA though, you have to plan like, what exactly you're doing in a given night. You have to really plan ahead. And then when you go to a certain area, you have to stay there. Cause if you yeah. want to go anywhere else, it takes way too long. So you really have to like plan out where, like what your career is going to be. Like if you need to take auditions, you have okay. to basically be a detective and like map out where you need to live in relation to all of it. Be equidistant from all the casting centers. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, Boston, um, there are plenty of times where I'm like, oh, I'm getting kind of sick of it. I kind of want to move elsewhere, but it's really clean. The people are great. Uh, a pre, um, like, pretty different, uh, I guess, industries mm-hmm. in Boston, like lots of tech people, lots of healthcare people, yeah. lots of universities, lots of artistic people. You know, you can find people who like have the same interests as you. Yeah. It's also not very big. It's not overwhelming. And that's kind of nice. Yeah. So sometimes though, I'm like, what if I lived in like a different city every few months? Like I just Airbnb a place for three or four months. Like, oh, let's say I'm like, okay, it's winter time. I'm going to Miami. Mm-hmm. from like November to March. Just work remotely. I'll spend a few months in Dallas and then a few months in Philly actually is a lot of fun. I had two close friends of mine that, that lived there the past few years. Um, it's it's definitely a really fun, fun city. It's oh. kind of like Boston. I think people are a lot friendlier in Philly though. I really? Yeah. But when I tell kind of older people like, oh, I went to Philly this weekend, they, they're like, oh, Philly. Has that stigma. Yeah, but it's, you know, my, my friends did live in a nicer area, I think. It's sort of like a, a Newbury Street. I, I, I'm i not sure. The Newbury of Philly. Of, uh, of Philly. So maybe I'm, uh, I'm definitely biased, but I liked Philly. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I liked it would it be too. A, a fun place to go to college in, especially. Yeah. I think you can get a mansion in Pennsylvania for like a mill. You know, I, it's funny you say that two years ago, my parents were having like, they were talking about what if we moved down to like South Carolina or like Georgia and in, in like a rural area and mm-hmm. bought this massive mansion. Like, cause we would go on Zillow mm-hmm. and truly look at these massive mansions, like 9,000 square feet listed for like $500,000. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is heaven. This is absolute heaven. Why hasn't anyone bought this? Um, but, you know, it was just one of those things that they were like, oh my God, wouldn't that be cool? But they don't want to leave here and leave all their friends and stuff. So right. I, I don't think That's they the will do that. I'd like them to do that because I think it would be cool for them to have nicer weather and be able to relax and you know, I'd love for them to retire to Florida, be able to golf. And when you go visit, you're like the prince coming home to the castle. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but but also in those rural areas there is nothing around there yeah. there's absolutely nothing around so they are really just by themselves in this in this mansion in the middle of nowhere so um it's cool to have but it's it's a toy it's not really like oh this is an excellent investment yeah it's like it's kind of tough to like bring a girl back to your mansion if it's like a thousand miles away from civilization yeah totally Dude, do you ever find yourself looking at those videos on YouTube of like, I saw one today, like the cheapest sports cars that you can still kind of look sick in without like blowing the bank? Yo, who posts that? <laughs> <laughs> like, who's the influencer? Uh, God, I don't remember the one today. It was like the five cheapest Ferraris you can get. And of course, they're like shit boxes. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, I just like. I, I couldn't see myself if I were to just have a ton of money to, to want to spend on dumb shit like that or uh, not, not like that, but just like a real Ferrari. And I couldn't see myself doing that. I, I would just be like, who am I trying to impress? I right. Way more freedom. If I just didn't buy that. What's the name of the guy who like Ty Lopez. Yeah. I'm in my garage. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I haven't seen his uh, ads for quite some time. Because he ran out of fucking money. <laughs> Why? What was his product exactly? Uh, I think he had like one of those sales funnel things where it's like you go to the website or you go to the social media and it all funnels down into like take this master class for like, you know, 15 easy recurring payments of thirty nine ninety nine or whatever the hell. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Ty Lopez. He was, but and there's so many knockoffs now, though. Like oh, yeah, totally. every other one, it's like some, but they've gotten progressively shittier. Like it's someone our age in like sweatpants. That's like, like that one where the guy's like, "I'm getting out of my sick car," and it's like, yo, know, I can't, uh, I can't stand influencers that are like giving motivational tips and stuff, and they're like younger than me, <laughs> dude to live a little bit and then give me advice maybe uh but with ty lopez yeah what what a douche whatever but i couldn't stop watching those ads i i respect the game though like um no matter what you're doing to put food on the table like who am i to say yeah oh that's not a real job like yeah you ever see those videos of uh the like gold diggers Oh yeah, they're so honestly. I think a lot of them are super fake. Yeah, I think that all of them are fake. Like for for a girl, first of all, girls don't like randomly stand there in the middle of nowhere and, and they're in booty wearing, shorts. Like the most, po- yeah, exactly. They're always wearing booty shorts, and they're and girls aren't really that into cars. They just aren't. Um, right. At least most girls I I know. So it's just so. They get so absurd. They get so ridiculous. How can you expect me to believe this? It's I, I'll still watch the whole thing. It's still really entertaining, but I'm not going to believe it. And sometimes the acting is just so shitty where like you you think it's a parody of it and then you see all the likes and you're like, wait, yeah, people buy this shit? He leaves and brings back a shovel <laughs> and gives it to the girl and he's like, here's your shovel. And she's like, why did you give me a shovel? And he's like, you know, to dig and she's like dig what and she's like 
He's like, uh, for gold, because you're a gold digger. So you should dig for gold. And she was like, oh my gosh. And then she takes the shovel and starts hitting the car with the yeah. shovel. Like, I don't think a normal human being would just do that. Right. Just by being told, hey, you're a gold digger. Dig for gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but and sometimes it's still, the, still gets the clicks and it gets my attention <laughs> still looking at those videos. So they're doing something right. It, it's so, it's so weird thing about how much content we consume. Every Just mindless day, shit. All day, every day. Like all the dumb memes we look at. Yeah. Like how, how much of our lives we're wasting looking at these dumb videos and these dumb memes. Let's do the 10 push up challenge tag five of your friends no here we go yeah you tagged me i'm gonna have to do that <laughs> dude are you on tiktok yet i was on tiktok and i immediately got off after hearing about all that like china stuff where they're yeah, like yeah. it's a chinese company and the government and yeah, they're of course taking your data and shit but they they did a great job with that really <laughs> this good. i'm i'm noticing a common theme here of like if someone defrauds you you're like well <laughs> Good on them. <laughs> I, you gotta respect the game. You gotta respect. I mean, you I really respect the game. I don't have an account on TikTok, but like, plenty of times I've opened it, scrolled through. Mm -hmm. At first, I was like, "This is amazing. I love this because it's it's so well made. Mm -hmm. I, like, it, it's impossible to get off of it." And then I went back on, and I was like, "All this is is like fourteen year olds just doing the same dance." Yeah. Every single one is just people the same age and they're doing like this. <laughs> and um, that's all it is. And they, they play the same exact songs and they do the same exact dances. And I feel like it's a club that I'm not a part of and I don't belong to. So it's like, okay. And you want to be in it really badly. You don't want to be left out. Uh, Not really. You don't want to be that guy. Sometimes though, there there's some really funny videos on mm -hmm. on TikTok that, of course, you can't really do it so well on on Instagram. So, mm -hmm. it does have 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 pretty good content, but it's just it's too many fourteen year olds dancing. Yeah, there are some good uh, YouTubers who like I follow their accounts on on Facebook, like the Daily Dropout or. Oh yeah, that's the prank channels. Yeah, yeah, those kind of prank channels. Like, I'll, I'll watch your videos on Facebook for some. Dude, reason. I'm in one of those videos, by the way. Oh really? You know Big Dawes TV? Yeah, of course, Big Dawes. That's like the 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 OG. Yeah, the OG one. Him and who's the other one? Angry Picnic, Cody. Yeah, yeah. I like some of that kid's. Uh, the dude with the mustache. Steve, like Steve who's doing the dropout one. I th yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Then there was that other one that had a lot of success. That kid down in like New Orleans, Jack Manley. Mm. His was always he'd like interview girls that were just like hammered out of their mind down on oh, in like yeah, New Orleans. Yeah. I feel like they all share their content. Is it just one organization that they just have all those accounts? No, I think I think that's like if you want to blow up, that's what you do. Is like you find someone that has a couple thousand followers and you team up with them and you get you grow your following and then you find people that are your same size and you just grow as like a community. Mm -hmm. Cause like that's unless you have a budget, that's the only way to do it.
Yeah, it, it seems like YouTubers they're really supportive of each same as like podcasters. So there was a Big Dawes one, and it was at because he did, did a lot of them at University of Arizona, and it was like nerd beatboxes and raps or something like that. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Yeah, of course. And that's a classic. I'm just like randomly. And I kind of saw some weird shit going on when I was walking to the library that day, like off to the side. And I think I knew, oh, oh that's Big Dawes. And I like kind of smiled and I didn't want to be that asshole in the video that like ruins the bit and walks up like, hey man, I watch your stuff. It's really cool. So like I just kept walking. But for some reason that day I was dressed like, like the Greece soccer team. I had like powder blue shorts on i had white vans on with no socks i had the white grease jersey i think it was like a somaris jersey or something like that and you just see me walking in the background and like i went to the comments and a bunch of people would comment like there was like a bunch of greek people that had commented shit and i did like the translation and it was like hey grease in the background or whatever and i was like okay okay representing that's awesome what was that? It was like your senior year? No, this was like before I was going to run off to LA. Oh, yeah. So what year was that? Okay. Actually, it might not have been. Don't I? Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what the timeline was. I started. You, we both graduated high school the same year, right? Twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah. So I think I was going to run off twenty fifteen, maybe. Mm. So literally you went to LA and you're like, this is kind of shitty. And, and you were like, I can do what I love without coming to this shithole. There were also some other stuff too. Like, so the first spring break freshman year, I just closed myself off in my dorm room and wrote my first feature film. And I was like, all right, now I'm going to get this thing produced. You know, it's going to be sick. It's going to be easy. Cause I did the hard part, right? I wrote the feature. And then I called, you know, every major studio and agency and management company and whatnot in Hollywood. And back to what we were talking about rejection, got the door slammed in my face at every single one of them with the same line, we do not accept unsolicited material. You need an agent or a manager that reps you to submit stuff that has a prior relationship with us. So I'm like... All right, so I got to like be out there and I have to do the grind to get the agent or the manager. That's the other thing when people like, when when people look at, oh, Daisy Ridley was plucked out of obscurity. She was a nobody that like- Yeah, not quite. Like, got this start, like- <laughs> She was acting for a while. It wasn't right. like, oh, she just decided one day, I want to act. And then they just took her out of a crowd. It's not, it's not a thing. Right. It's like the people that get plucked out of obscurity, it's like- they were acting, they put together a reel, they did student films, they got their first agent, they worked up to a bigger agent that got them all these they auditions. Were, they were like doing smaller roles for many, many years. Yeah. Finally, they got their big break. You're like in a pool of people with agents. Like it's, there is an inside and an outside. And then after that LA experience where I kind of shattered it of like, I don't want to be inside this. And I knew with the tax incentives, nothing was filmed there anymore. And there's a lot of filming in Massachusetts and shit. Yeah, and I was like, Maybe I'll just... It's like Massachusetts and Georgia. Yeah. New Mexico, maybe. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I figured I can come back and do it from here. And so that's what I've been doing. Did I ever tell you uh, the stories of the 
the Emma Stone film? I don't think so. You told me about like maybe it was Little Women or something. Oh yeah, that was that was like a year ago. Oh. This one, this one's a few. This one was during college, over like that summer break, mm. where I was like, I'm getting on a real set if I have to kill someone, and <laughs> luckily I didn't have to kill anyone. So drive down, I or I call the lady who's casting extras, and I'm like, you know, I'd love to do this movie, and she's like. Good news, someone dropped out, you're in tomorrow. So we're like, all right, sick. We got to leave 4.30 in the morning. But you know what? It's all good. Adrenaline's running. Little did I know, because this is my first ever extra experience. Little did I know it wasn't going to be as jovial a time. They bring you like cattle from extras holding. No smiles, no nothing. Just, all right, this way. They bring all of us to extras holding number two, which is like just offset. And from i've now been up since 4 30 a.m to like lunch at whatever time that was and of course they always go over not getting anything it would be like it's like the last kid that gets picked for basketball where they're like um you 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 and they look at me uh you (laughs) so Everyone got called except for me. Literally everyone got called except for me. And then at one point I did get called and they were like, all right, you, you're going to come here. And they said, all right, this one's rehearsal. You walk across like the camera by Emma Stone's character. So I'm like, this is my shot, dude. I'm going to like turn towards the camera, give a look, whatever, walk across. Don't do any of it because you're so nervous. You're like, I'm not going to anything up. So, so you just walk across. And the director goes, and I like, I kind of saw the setup too. I'd be like a blur that was so close to the camera. You'd see like my shoulder out of focus, briefly covering the camera and going across, you know, just to add ambiance to the room. Mm. And they're like, yeah, Nick's that kid. So, (laughs) 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 so so I go back out to the extras holding. Right. And then I'm there until lunch and I'm like, you know, a a big film set is like a lot of hurry up and wait where it takes like three hours to set up a shot. You know, you're a part of it, but you're technically not a part of it. You know, you're like totally on the outside. You're kind of, you can't even eat lunch first. If you're a non-union extra, you literally, you're the first to get to the lunch cart and you have to wait for everyone else to go first. You have to wait for the big actors, the crew, then the union extras get called up. And then finally, oh, you can take whatever scraps are left. Peasant. (laughs) it's like am i not working here like you called me tech i mean i know i called you but you (laughs) called me back so we come back from lunch and instead of bringing us around the back way to extras holding they bring us through the front door of the bar that we were filming in and so we walked down the main street and lining the streets was just people like onlookers And you're like, now they're all looking at you. You're like dressed for this thing. You're on set. You feel like, even though you're not a part of it, you feel like you're a part of it. And like, we go in and like, you can kind of, so there was Video Village. For those that don't know, Video Village is like, where like the director sits, there are a bunch of screens and they watch what's on camera and listen to the audio and the producers sit there and shit. And that was like right in the, inside the door, inside the front door of this bar, right? And we're just outside the door and I'm shooting the shit with another extra and you're feeling good and you're animated because everyone's looking at you. You're like tasting. This is that, you know, stardom shit. 
and you're like, oh yeah, you're my best friend, mother, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, kind of sitting there and then all the extras like go back. And for some reason I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't really feel like it. And actually I think what it might've been was I went inside to like where Video Village was and I just sat where like all the producers had been sitting before and just chilling and all the other extras were taken somewhere else and I didn't know and I was just kind of sitting there and then I saw they disappeared and I was like, well, I'm not gonna get up and go look for them. Someone will obviously come get me. And then a couple people come in and then a couple more people come in and then the set is like starting, to, everyone's coming back from lunch. All the extras are like a mile away at this point. And then like a couple of the producers walk in and they wanna come sit down where I am and this was like the first day of shooting. This was the, the it happened to be the movie's first day. <clears throat> so here's where the story gets good. They come in, they look at me and my heart sinks. I'm like, oh shit, oh, I'm about to get booted for not, you know, not supposed to be here. And I start to stand up and go, oh, please sit. And they go, oh, no, 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 please sit, sit, sit. And I realized after a while, it was the first day, people didn't really know who was who, they all thought I was like one of the producer's kids who was just sitting in Video Village because why else would you be there, you know? I went from being the bottom of the pail to all of a sudden people like being nice to me. Would you like a Perrier, you know? Oh, oh, no, don't even move, just sit there. So I'm just like sitting there like, holy shit, what the fuck's going on? And you hear, oh my God, oh my God! Just like the crowd going nuts. And then the cars pull up and the stars get here and Emma Stone walks in like right in front of me. So I'm like, all right, maybe I should move before I get caught. So I move to like the other side of Video Village at these tables and I'm watching uh, Emma Stone walk in and do her scene or whatever. And I'm like, just like staring at her from maybe like three feet away. And eventually Emma Stone looks over at me like, why is this kid staring at me? And you know, you like look away or whatever. And then it gets to like take 40 and the set got super tense and they had all the extras like clear out and only the couple that needed to be there were there. And when they came in to clear out all the extras and do like the final sweep, that's when my handler saw me and was like, yo, let's go. And it was like, oh, I was caught back to being treated like shit again. Let's <laughs> go. So, <laughs> uh, you know, um, <laughs> I, I think it was uh, back in 2018. Mm -hmm. I I got a text from my sister being like, "Hey, look at this art, this um this announcement." And apparently, Mark Wahlberg needed some like tough-looking Bostonian guys mm -hmm. in his movie. But I was like, I had to be away that weekend. I had like some trip or something. I was so pissed. Yeah. Um, because I forget what movie that was for back in. I think it was filmed fall 2018. Uh, so it would have come out 2019. Yeah. It wasn't Spencer Confidential, was it? That just came out? I don't think so. All right, Jason. So it's been a good while. It's like 1222 AM. So I know I'm keeping you up at this point. But uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, we'll definitely have you back. You're invited back anytime. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, and I'm looking forward to coming back. This has been the Interested Anthony Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Hohoulis. You've been listening to my interview with Jason Theo Harris, friend of the show. We'll have you back on soon, and uh, good night. Stay safe.